Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you're with us or you're with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to a bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. The Buck Sexton Show. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Thank you very much for being here. Got much to discuss today. As always, 844-900-2825. 844 844- 900 buck. Uh, love to hear your thoughts. We will talk about the latest on the Russia collusion investigation in just a moment. We'll also spend some time on McCabe at the FBI or formally. Will he be fired or not? And what does that tell us about this whole situation? And then we'll also uh, have an, a follow up on the Russian alleged Russian use of Novichok, uh, the nerve agent that was used in an assassination attempt in the United Kingdom, and just a bunch of other stories that will get thrown into the mix here. I have to start with the biggest single news of the day, though. Biggest single news item. Not so much that it's new as that it's a reminder of something that is already going on, and that is that special counsel Robert Mueller has subpoenaed the Trump organization in the Russia investigation. Now, the Trump org had already been giving documents to Mueller's team. So they were cooperating. So in that sense, it's not new. But the issuance of a subpoena by the special counsel has with it at least the perception that Mueller's sense of all this is that someone's trying to hide something or that they can't trust that the willing cooperation thus far would continue or uh, would be sufficient. Basically, it's like Mueller thinks that he can't trust the Trump people to actually give the documents they're supposed to. And that's why he's going with the subpoena in this process. That's what it, that's what it strikes me as. And now we're getting into some really... Uh, precarious territory because you have a special counsel that's going to be looking at the complex finances of a large uh, multinational corporation. And what if Mueller decides that he's going to bring some kind of a charge that's Mickey Mouse stuff? You know, what if he's going to get them on some kind of, uh, I don't know, you know, uh, some kind of a, wire fraud or something. You know, there's there's so many different things. One thing the public is not particularly familiar with is how messed up your life will be the moment that federal prosecutors and federal investigators want to take a look at what's going on with you. And heaven forbid this should ever happen to any of you listening to this show or to yours truly, uh, because I do know what this is like from working on the law enforcement side for a bit, but also having close friends and associates who are, in fact, federal uh, and and some are former federal prosecutors. And they've 
I'm always fascinated to hear how it goes. And, and I often describe it. I have fun analogies for this. The eye of Sauron is a good one. You know, does the eye of Sauron really bother you? Eh, only when it's on you, right? Otherwise, what's the big deal? But the moment it's on you, it's bad. It's scary. Or you could say that the federal government, at least on the DOJ, FBI side, is somewhat like the one-eyed giant from the Odyssey. You recall the Odysseus and his uh, cohorts hiding in the cave, and the one-eyed giant uh, was eating them one at a time, and they managed to put a stake in his eye and then sneak sneak out of the cave by hiding on the underside of sheep. And... Think of the federal government as somewhat like the one-eyed giant, maybe even sans that eye. It's fine if it doesn't get a hand on you, but if it does, it's going to be a very, very bad day. Meaning that when it's your turn, things get ugly fast. You go most likely bankrupt. Your reputation is ruined. You become radioactive professionally and for a lot of people personally. And even if at the end there's no real wrongdoing, You have suffered. The process is the punishment. I repeat it because I want you to remember it. The process is the punishment with this. And that's why there's so much support for it from Democrats, even though it has started to slip out more and more in recent months. Most Democrats who are sane and reasonable, or at least close to sane and reasonable, understand there's never going to be any collusion evidence that's found. They know that there's because there was no collusion. So how can you find evidence of something that didn't happen? And also, as an aside, how would it be that at this point, after everything that we've seen and heard after all the leaks and all the investigations, everything that has happened, the Trump campaign, which has made some, uh, you know, made some errors here and there. I don't mean criminal stuff. I just mean, you know, they've hired some people, fired some people. There have been some stuff that's gone on, right? We all know that. The Trump campaign, though, was able to hide an international conspiracy to defeat Hillary Clinton in a presidential election from the most sophisticated intelligence and surveillance apparatus in the world. They were able to, as they say, they're able to find the Russia stuff, right? They found all these, they're, they're tracking down Twitter accounts and Facebook accounts. They can find all that, and they've got it all mapped out. We've got indictments now from Mueller. But they, at this point, still haven't found anything with any of the Trump people that would justify this investigation and that would qualify as collusion. Still has not happened. And so you have to wonder, is is the Trump squad that slick that they had such operational security that they couldn't find anything on them, or does does nothing of the collusion variety exist? I think we all know the answer to this. But now the Mueller thing has nothing to do with collusion. The Mueller probe is payback. It is payback not just for Hillary Clinton's loss. It is payback for the slap in the face to the elites that Trump has represented. It is payback for all of the people who were expecting to get promotions and access and power because of a new Democrat administration. It's payback for Trump exposing that, yes, in fact, there are left wing elements 
in very senior roles of the federal bureaucracy that actually do have considerable power have amassed real authority for themselves. And Trump has exposed them. And worse than exposing them in many ways, Trump has also challenged them openly. Mueller is all about payback. When you look into his background, you look into all these characters at the DOJ, that, and we'll get to McCabe. Oh, don't worry. We'll get to McCabe's situation in just a few minutes. There is a recurrent, recurring theme. Mueller... Mueller is first and foremost concerned with the legacy of what he and the other DOJ people around him create for themselves. They have gone after with tenacity, fiercely gone after people for investigations that were on the borderline. On the look into his past, look into the prosecutions. Comey, the same thing. Comey and Mueller and these others, they created this narrative around themselves of, oh, we, we're the honest ones. And now we see how, how quickly does Comey become an anti-Trump rabid partisan in the press? How quickly does uh, Preet Bharara, the former U.S. attorney for New York, the Southern District, the most important U.S. attorney seat in the country, a stepping stone for, you know, being the attorney general or any number of other senior posts in, in Washington. How quickly before Preet's shown up on CNN? He's a Democrat. He's a left winger. Do, do we get to see one? Can we see one senior DOJ figure that is implicated in all this stuff? The Russia collusion investigation, all of it. Can we just see one who is not even pro-Trump, just not rabidly anti-Trump? Just one. I can't think of one. I'm not aware of one. What are the chances of that, folks? What are the chances that each one of these officials, McCabe, Comey, uh, Mueller, go down the list of all the people involved in this, not a single one of them is anything other than an obvious Democrat, partisan, pro-Hillary acolyte. Seems, Seems rather suspicious and fishy, doesn't it? Now add to that. That the Trump organization is going to have all of, its, all of its books opened. Do we think there might be some embarrassing information that will find its way into the press just somehow? Oh, somehow. Remember, there are anti-Trumpers in the government, and it's DOJ, that were willing to break their oaths and violate federal criminal law to commit felonies. Just to stick a thumb in the eye of Trump's team, just to go after General Flynn. By the way, I say when it comes to Andy McCabe, the former acting FBI director, I think that General Michael Flynn should get to determine whether or not McCabe gets fired and McCabe therefore loses his over a million dollar pension. Because when it suits them, the Democrats and the deep state and the rest of them, they tell us the law is the law. Rules are rules. And when it doesn't, all of a sudden, we hear a lot of back talk and gibberish and nonsense and take the totality of the situation into account and there's more going on here and that's not fair. And I thought rules were rules. Well, we already saw this with Hillary in the emails. Rules are not rules. Laws don't really count when Democrats are implicated. Something else 
automatically comes into the conversation. Mueller is now a rogue operation. I know he's still under the auspices of the DOJ, but this is turning into Banana Republic stuff, my friends. This is third world nonsense. When you have a team of people who clearly have an animus against the administration in power, against the elected officials entrusted by the American people to run this government, and when they have to deal with the constant irritation and threats from this nonsense special prosecutor that's just going to keep going and going and going and dropping charges on people like Manafort that have nothing to do with Trump. And by the way, the guy's facing decades in prison. For what? Well, you know, Mueller will figure it out. Enough is enough. I... I'm of the mind that I know this is unpopular. I know people get mad at me for saying it, but I don't really much care because I find power mad prosecutors to be the single greatest threat to liberty in this country that most of us will ever face. Uh, I, I think that they should shut it down. Yeah, there'd be a, oh, it would be such a, and then what? And then what? What are they going to say? What are they going to do? The, the Democrats have already told us in the House they're still going to keep investigating the entire multi-billion dollar media apparatus is going to keep investigating. The DOJ could investigate any information of collusion that was brought to their attention, right? It's not like that means no more investigation of any kind. It's not like it means Trump would be out of hot water if he did something wrong. But this has become too much. Looking into the organization, looking into their finances. Are we all going to act surprised? Oh, gosh, you mean damaging damaging non-criminal information found its way to the media? Right when Mueller's getting all this stuff from the Trump organization? Oh, wow. What a shock. What a shock. It's time to shut this thing down. I don't know if it, I mean, I don't know if it'll happen. I have a feeling that they're going to continue on with it and there'll be more lame prosecutions brought against people for Mickey Mouse crimes. You know, lying, you know, the Papadopoulos effect, you know, lying to investigators. Notice that Jim Clapper, he can lie to the American people about surveillance, and that's under oath, it's in front of Congress, but, you know, give, give Clapper a pass. When is the law the law? When do rules actually count? Don't count for Clapper. They don't count for Hillary with her emails. They don't count for Comey giving information that we've been told by the Senate is classified to a reporter to settle a political score. Don't count for him. Don't count for Loretta Lynch when she has a tarmac meeting and does not recuse herself from Hillary's email investigation. So so what are we to make of all this? I mean, this is the great problem that we face in the Trump era is that so much of this has been exposed and the rabid hatred of the left for not just Donald Trump, but all those who support him has become so overwhelming that their willingness to break laws, destroy institutions, remove all integrity from public life has forced us to say, well, what do we do? Do we fight fire with fire or do we just sit here and take it? It's a, it's a question for which I do not have an easy answer for you, but we should be thinking about it right now as the Mueller probe drags the entire Trump organization. Trump's children will now be involved in this. Everybody who has had a business dealing with Trump in recent years now has a team of prosecutors lined up to just find 
something to justify their time and to get back at Trump. And we'll be right back. Stay with me. We're going to continue to fully cooperate out of respect for the special counsel. We're not going to comment for any specific questions about the Trump organization. I'd refer you there. Sarah Huckabee Sanders handling a lot of stuff in today's uh, press conference in the White House. And, yeah, they're going to continue cooperating, but cooperation doesn't get you very far with this special counsel because the the fix is in. I know others and some of my colleagues call it a a witch hunt. and um, I, I think it's actually driven by you know because a, a witch hunt you think is something where they th- usually the villagers you know, go back to Salem the people actually believe that there's something I think now we're almost beyond witch hunt they know there's no witch they're just pretending because they want to just keep the investigation going because it allows them to pull people in pull records in look at information look at all kinds of stuff here here's something for you who wants to who wants to bet that at some point over the course of this investigation Trump's tax returns leak. Some point. I'm not saying tomorrow or next month, but at some point, all of a sudden, some and they're going to have some backstory for it, though. Oh, the, you know, uh, got it from a source who met, met me under a bridge and he left two chalk marks on the wall and, you know, had the secret handshake. And I'm a journalist. I can't tell you my source is. But just remember that right now you have pro Hillary partisan prosecutors who are getting access to everything they want from Trump's company, which is going to include a lot about Trump's personal finances. Who knows what else is going to be in there, right? Reams and reams of documentation they're going to have. I'm just, I know I'm, I, I sometimes I like to throw a long bomb into the end zone. You know, it may not get caught, but, you know, it keeps the defense, got it keeps the defense awake. You know what I'm saying? I think you're going to see Trump's tax returns leak, and I think it, I think it's going to come from these one of these invest probably the special counsel, but one of these investigations that's going on, uh, and then the press is going to present it like we deserve a Pulitzer. Look what we've done, and we'll all have to say, "Oh, great!" You know, now we see that Trump t- takes a lot of tax deductions. They're all legal, and they'll be like, "Well, but they're so mean and Occupy Wall Street and inequality and stuff," and just like they did with Romney. It'll be the same thing all over again. Romney paid all the required taxes, and he was still a bad guy somehow. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. President Field Justice Department should act by Sunday to fire Andrew McCabe. Uh, that's a determination that we would leave up to uh, Attorney General Sessions. Uh, but we do think that it is well documented that he has had some very troubling behavior and by most accounts a bad actor and should have some cause for concern. But that would be a determination that DOJ would have to make. President should not receive his full pension as a result of... As I just said, that would be a decision that Department of Justice would have to make. Andy McCabe, here's the guy who sat on the new information about Hillary's emails. Remember, this is an FBI director who in October of 2016 or September, I forget which month it was, uh, finds out that accused and now convicted uh, sexual predator Anthony Weiner had classified information on his laptop courtesy of his wife, Huma Abedin, 
who somehow was never put through the gauntlet of prosecutors questioning her and possibly getting caught up in a perjury charge, right? But think about that. The right-hand woman, Huma Abedin, to Hillary Clinton, at that point, the presumed next president of the United States, so, so let's just back up for a second, the presumed next president of the United States' top advisor had classified information on the laptop that her pedophile husband had access to and owned. And the, the uh, acting FBI director, or, or whatever he was, deputy FBI director at the time, McCabe, is like, yeah, I don't know if we're going to move on that one. I think, I think we got to give that a little time. Let's air that one out a little bit. Let's see what happens. See, I think that's a problem. I think we all think that's a problem. And that's why right now, the fate of McCabe, now keep in mind, this is just disciplinary, but it's pensions at stake. Uh, but much more importantly than that, it has to do with what the narrative becomes of McCabe's involvement in all of this. Is he going to be called as a witness in any possible obstruction prosecution of Trump or any of his top people? As to whether I would feel sorrow for McCabe if he lost his pension, usually I would say, you know, be losing your pension. Look for it. It's a big deal. I knew guys I knew at the NYPD, they were PhDs in their pensions, man. And and I, I totally respect it. But I got they knew you know, when they were going to hit their number and everything. And it's a big part of what brings people into the line of work is, yeah, you're not going to become rich working for the city, for example, but you're going to be, you do your time, you do a good job, you're going to be taken care of. It's a promise. It's a contract between, between, uh, in that case, law enforcement, it's also true of firefighters and other people, but between uh, law enforcement and the city or the county or the state, whatever it may be, right? Uh, so, So I totally respect that. In the case of McCabe, now you're talking about a guy who is going to, if he gets fired, he becomes a martyr to the anti-Trump cause. He's going to be just fine. They're going to give him, you know, just just wait. They're, you know, you're going to see him. I don't know if he's a particularly chatty fellow. I know his wife has political aspirations because, oh, yeah, that's right. His wife was the one who was running for state senate in Virginia and got all this money from the DNC and is, like, tied into Terry McAuliffe. And, oh, what a surprise. Like, hundreds of thousands of dollars. She wants to be a Democrat. Who wants to, who, who wants to place a bet as to whether or not we can assume that McCabe really doesn't like Trump? That's a household where I have a feeling there was a lot of Trump bashing going on. And that can affect things. That can affect, but McCabe will be taken care of. This is one thing the left always does better than conservatives. It's true in media. It's true in politics. True in government. If you take one for the team on the left, they have your back. You know, if you're a conservative, and whether it's in politics or you know, they're like, oh, I couldn't get you know, you know, you, you know, you couldn't get a gig with Fox News or something. You know, you're on your own. <laughs> That's it. There, there's no publishing houses that are rushing out to give you a big check. There's no. Companies are going to rush to put you on the board. With liberals, though, you're, trust me, you're, you'll be good to go. So he'll be good to go. Gosh, I don't even know what Comey's getting on advance for his book. I'm, I'm assuming it's seven figures. By the way, no one's going to read Comey's stupid book. You know how boring a book by the FBI director is going to First of all, a book written by a guy, or it's going to be ghostwritten, but he'll put his name on it, but he'll be directing it. And this is somebody who thinks that putting out 
super weird tweets of like nature scenes and talking about the need to restore integrity in America. Like he's the chief of the Boy Scout troop speaking down to all of us. He thinks that's normal. So his book is going to be super boring. I mean, the Clintons have actually really excelled in getting paid a lot of money to have books written under their names that are boring and don't sell. But they still get huge, huge. Um, what, what do you, Producer Mike, you got something for me? Uh, this Politico said it, Comey has a multi-million dollar yeah, there we go. deal. And he hasn't had, they don't even have the title for the book yet. So Yeah, exactly. They're just going to throw millions of dollars. Because this is this is how the game works. This is the game the left plays. Big, they make sure that people who do what what is necessary for the cause they they get paid. They get taken care of. Going to be on the board of companies and you know like all this stuff. You know, look at Big Sis Napolitano. Remember her? Hey, I'm going to have my TSA agents patch you down all over. She's like the chancellor of the UC school system now. It's actually a really big job. Yeah, she's uh, so. Not, trust me, no, no Bush administration DHS secretary is being asked to be, you know, put in put in that role. But I'm very good at it, she says. Uh, I kind of miss Napolitano actually. She was a she was a colorful character at uh, DHS. We miss miss being able to do her on the show. OSS on this show knows what I'm talking about. It's a regular, and that was in the that was there was a lot more going on with you know. Uh, it was the early days of the, the machine that does like the puff puff or whatever when you go in the airport, you know, poof, poof. I don't even, that was not, <laughs> I sound like a villager who's just discovered technology. The machine that does the puff puff, you know, but the thing that makes sure you don't have a bomb on you or something when you're getting on a plane, whatever that's called. Napolitano was very much a part of all those debates. All right, back to McKay, back to McKay, back on track, Sexton, get it together, Sexton. Uh, so he's, even if he loses his pension, he's going to be fine. That's all I'm trying to say. And I'm whining a little bit how the left takes care of their own because, trust me, as a conservative media these days, you're like, well, I hope everything goes okay because, like, otherwise, you know, no one's going to be like, hey, Buck, we want you to come teach at Columbia Journalism School. There are clowns, hacks that got nowhere in this business that end up teaching at, like, the top journalism school in the country because, you know, they show up and they're like, let's watch a movie of CBS Evening News, you know, and I'm like, see? News is all about integrity and storytelling. It's like, yeah, great. Thanks. You will not find a lot of conservatives getting those gigs, whether it's the academy, boards of companies. There are plenty of conservatives who run companies, but they just know if they bring a, if, if they bring a known conservative on the board of their company, then they become a target for boycotts and media matters. Media matters is really the worst, by the way. I, I throw around the term the worst occasionally, but media matters actually deserves it. The worst. People who work there should be ashamed. I, I, and you know I don't say that about places. I give, I give as much of the benefit of the doubt and, and good faith to the other side of arguments and discussions I possibly can. All right, I have loads of friends who are Democrats and leftists, and we get along great, and that's fine. Media matters is disgusting, though. It really needs to go, really needs to go away. I mean, I think the whole thing is dishonest, too. It's a political action committee pretending to be a 501c3 or 501c4, I forget which. It's just a, a uh, character assassination pack. That's all it is. Very, very bad people. So we'll see if Trump fires McCabe. He's got uh, until Sunday. Is that right? He's got until Sunday to fire him before his, I think it's, I believe it's McCabe's 50th birthday, which is quite a, 
that just kind of ups the ante a little bit, doesn't it? I may be making that up, but people tell me things. I think it is his 50th birthday. And by the way, that's a that's a pretty good gig, isn't it? Retire, full pension for life at 50. That's nice. I assume I'm going to be working until, what, am I right? His birthday's May 5th. His birthday's May 5th. Fine. How old is he, though? He's 50. All right, all right, all right. So, I mean, I was kind of right. I was close. I was close enough. If it was a math test, I showed my work, I'd get half credit. So, so okay, so he's 50, everybody. It's not actually his birthday. Although. It'll be close, though. It'll be an early birthday present if he gets to keep his pension. But that's, that's a good gig. Good gig to uh, be able to retire with full pension and benefits at 50. I've got to say, for all the backbreaking labor of, you know, sitting in a lot of meetings and doing a lot of paperwork, um, nonetheless... I think that, uh, it, look, this, the inspector general, they're the ones that have come out with this. It's not about, uh, you know, it's not a Trump administration decision. It's internal to DOJ, and they're saying that he had improper contact with, or Im- he essentially lied about or or misled. They're using all these kind of, you know, eh, halfway words about it, but that he wasn't fully forthcoming when he talked about what he told FBI personnel to tell the press about the Hillary Clinton or, or about the Clinton Foundation investigation. I think that's what it was. It was a Clinton, it was Clinton Foundation, right? Not Clinton email. It, it all, all the Hillary, all the, uh, the Hillary investigations, the, the criminal wrongdoing by Hillary Clinton is tough to keep track of. There's a lot. So you got to keep an eye on it. Um, we got to roll in a quick break here. 844-900-2825 team. If you would like to call in. Uh, I've got some updates for you on maybe some thoughts on the Pennsylvania election going forward. Is it Pelosi's party, the Democrats? The answer is yes. And uh, then we can talk a bit about some other things too. Oh, there's surveillance video of that guy from the from the sh- uh, shooting, the Parkland school shooting um, of him outside and not doing anything. So that's now in the news again. We might talk a bit more about that. Oh, and some follow-up to yesterday's uh, Never Again movement protests. Oh, I've got some stuff for you on that. Uh, we've got more that we will want to share on it, so that will be coming up, too. So we've got a, a packed show. And the third hour, I want to talk to you a bit about the, uh, the, the philosophy of why progressives are crazy. But I'm going to really break it down for you. You're going to like it. It's going to be something that's worth listening to more than once, too. You'll be like, oh, wow, now I know why they are so uh, insane, and why they are snowflakes who cannot handle normal debate like adults have. Uh, but you have to stay to the third hour for that. That'll be coming up in a bit. Until then, stay with me. One of the things I have always uh, admired about President Trump is his opposition to the Iraq war, his forthrightness about this, and his condemnation of the regime change. So I'm perplexed by the nomination of people who love the Iraq war so much that they would advocate for a war with Iran next. I think it goes against most of the things that President Trump campaigned on, that the unintended consequences of regime change in Iraq actually led to instability in the Middle East and actually made the conditions worse in the Middle East. I got to say, I'm usually a a pretty pro-Rand guy. I think he's 
getting way, way ahead of his skis on this one, or he's he's uh, going too far. I, I don't know what his what it is about Pompeo that gets him so upset. But look, a, a lot of people, if you're going to discount anyone who thought the Iraq war was a good idea from being in any national security role going forward, and when you say good idea, by the way, I, I assume he just means voted for it as a member of Congress. Maybe he means some of the statements he's made about it, but uh, you're not going to have a, a lot of folks to choose from. Congress voted overwhelmingly to give George W. Bush the authority to go to war if Iraq did not comply. And then also his problems with the new uh, CIA director seem to be just way overblown. People are saying it's he's not even accurate in what he's saying about her, and I, I don't know what. Something's really gotten Rand Paul fired up about this stuff, and I just think he's wrong on this. I, I think that he's seeing big problems where there aren't big problems. I, I like it when Rand... I stand with Rand when he's the one guy that'll say stuff that we all should be saying, but this does not strike me as one of those cases. Sam in Charlotte. Sam, what is up, my friend? Hey, Buck. How's it going, buddy? Shield time, man. Shield time. Thank I, you for your call. Hey, I, I wish, uh, man, you could put that sense of reason sense of reason in the Capitol. Um, here, here's what I don't understand, and maybe you can help me understand it. You know, typically when you get an assignment, there's a scope of that assignment. There's a scope of work that has to be done. How in the world can the special counsel have an unlimited scope creep on just any and everything they want to do at the expense of the taxpayers? And we just have to sit by and say, okie dokie, you just, you're done when you're done. And I guess you're never going to be done. Well, you know, our friend Andy McCarthy, who's a former federal prosecutor of about 20 some odd years, uh, has said that to, to have a special counsel without a specific crime to investigate is preposterous. And because of that, because it's not narrowed in scope automatically by what they're looking at, they essentially can look at anything. And that, and then they're, they're just going to be drawing on resources from the DOJ based on the premise that they have to look at whatever they think they should be looking at. And Sam, it's just, it's wrong, my friend. It should not be happening this way. Well, I, sh- I share your frustration. I mean, I- I'm sure a bunch of us Americans that listen to you out here do. Um, but it seems like the special counsel is doing this, and then they're trying to do everything they can. They can't get to Trump because there's nothing. They can't get to him. So they're trying to get to everything around him just to create, you know, hate and discontent and distractions. It's, it's a pretty Yeah, I-, I think they're just trying to get at whoever they can around him. They're not going to find any collusion. I'm with you, Sam. Thanks for calling in Shields High. John in Gulfport, Mississippi. Hey, John. Hey, Buck. Um, Shields High. Shields High, John. Um, I, I'm stuck on this fellow, uh, Jonathan Weiner, who was uh, head of the Libya desk in the State Department under Hillary and uh, under uh, John Kerry when he took over the State Department. And before the election in 2016, uh, he met up with his old friend, Christopher Steele. And Steele told him about the uh, allegations contained in his dossier. And shortly thereafter, he bumped into his other old friend, Sidney Blumenthal, who is, a, you know, a supporter of Hillary Clinton, well-known, you know, avid supporter, loyal supporter of Hillary Clinton, who told him, yes, I have my own copy of these allegations, and they came to me via this man named Cody Shearer, S-H-E-A-R-E-R, 
And Cody Shearer has a background going back supporting and helping the Clintons all the way back to the 90s. And it so happens that a, a lot of these people uh, we're talking about um, uh, got their, got acquainted because they were after um, Ronald Reagan and Ali North back in the Iran-Contra scandal. They were the, they were the political fighters. John, I gave you all the time we have, my friend. I'm sorry. We've got to go into a break now, but thank you for the call, and I'll just let John what John said stand. We'll be back. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Thank you for being with me. You had the... Walk out from schools across the country yesterday, the uh, never again movement as it is self-described, getting marches going across the country, lots of demands made, lots of people holding up signs. So there's the way the media portrayed the whole situation. CNN here with the headline, a generation raised on gun violence sends a loud message to adults. Um, not, not really. I mean, maybe it was loud. The The message, though, I'm, I'm not sure it was received, as in not clear to me what they think is going to happen here or what should happen. You'll notice that the left gets very touchy, very defensive. The moment you say, well, what is this movement all about, really? You know, with Occupy Wall Street, you'll remember that from some years ago. What do they want? An end to inequality. That's not really a thing. Yeah, these man, like we want an end to inequality. It's like, you know, the rich people, and like I'm not rich, and like it's not cool. It's not really much of a movement. I don't think you're going to be telling your grandkids about the Occupy Wall Street movement and its fearsome march on Zuccotti Park in downtown Manhattan. Uh, and then you had uh, Black Lives Matter. What is Black Lives Matter all about, folks? What does Black Lives Matter want? Well, well pretty much to call cops racist. Oh, no, they said it was about raising awareness, but I was actually at some of those protests and uh, they say terrible things about cops. So a lot. There's a lot of that. So there's that. What do they want policy wise? Oh, you know, we want we want there to be federal oversight of police departments that have a history of discrimination. Okay, well, you could just you could push for that without saying the cops are all racist murderers. Right. That would it's one way to go. You might have a little bit more willingness for people to listen on the other side if that were the case. Oh, by the way, I see him up on CNN right now. Gurgling with gurgling is upon us. Or Trump and the Mueller investigators, Mueller and Trump and federal prosecutors, and they're looking at documents, and Reagan, and Nixon, Ford. He's up there doing his thing. Uh, oh, he's teaching at the Kennedy School now, by the way. You know what I know from all my friends who went to Harvard Kennedy School? It's where you go if you really want a degree from Harvard, but you couldn't get into any other Harvard schools. Yeah, that's right. Bing, I'm just going to say it. Just going to say it. Dropping hate toward the Harvard Kennedy School. Take that. Um, where was I? Oh, yeah. The Never Again movement and uh, the kids. Oh, by the way, literally kids. Uh, in case you're wondering, I I had a report. I saw some reporters sharing stuff. I actually had to put this out on Twitter, and I want to make sure I give you the the real deal with what happened here. Um, here we had where wait where did it go? Oh gosh, I'm for. It was 
Yeah. You had an elementary school, an elementary school doing a walkout in Virginia. Because I really want to hear from eight-year-olds about the Second Amendment, the Constitution, policies regarding crime, policies regarding individual rights. I want eight-year-olds to be raising awareness now. I'm not making this up, folks. I got the photo in front of me in Alexander. I'm sure it was in other places, too. This was the mobilization of the Democrat school, public school apparatus for a political purpose. Hat tip to my former colleague, uh, Matt Walsh, who's an excellent writer, uh, who pointed out that to really push this whole thing home, the, the bias that I'm talking to you about, there should be at the at the high school level, because we're not going to involve like toddlers in this. OK, at the high school level, we'll leave that to the left. Uh, they should do a, a walkout for life, meaning a walkout for the pro-life movement. I promise you schools would clamp down on it and they would find all kinds of reasons to justify why they can't provide resources, teachers, you know, they could, it's pretty easy, right? The kids got to be in school. The kids got to be in school. We can't, we can't do that. You can't do a march, march for life, you know, a pro-life march. Meanwhile, this thing, you got, you know, Cuomo showing up, you know, we want to end gun violence. Nobody needs a million rounds to kill a deer. We will get rid of all automatic machine gun chainsaw bayonets. If you think, just go back to some of the Cuomo, some of the Cuomo greatest hits, the governor of New York here. I hate the big rifles that make the bang noise. It's very loud and it hurts my ears. So the elementary school walkout in uh, Alexandria, Virginia happened. And I noticed that, that some members of the press share this photo. They're like, see, now the movement's really coming together. Now it's all happening, folks. We have the 10-year-olds with us. We, we have kindergarten and pre-kindergarten exercising their First Amendment rights. I just don't think it's as compelling as they do. I don't think that handing signs to, uh, to little kids on complicated political issues is a winning strategy for an argument. It may be a photo op of some kind, but I don't think that that's about to convince. It's not about to convince you. You're like, oh, yes, yes. Now that I see that... Uh, Mrs. Mrs. Smith's third grade class, third grade homeroom class, is deeply opposed to the Second Amendment. I think it's time we gave it another look. What do you say, Congress? It's not how it works. It's not how it goes. Um, somehow they think that, it, that this will be effective. Oh, and as if that wasn't enough, at some of the other schools. Oh, yeah, we saw some First Amendment, First Amendment in action going on here in Tennessee. Oh, do we have we have audio of this one in Tennessee? Students uh, tore down the American flag in front. These are high school students tore down the American flag in front of their building and stomped on it and ripped it apart because you know gun violence. And uh, here's what the police said about it. <laughs> this is just audio of them doing it. Actually, sorry. That's First Amendment rights in action, folks. You can't see it, but just, you know, there's a, a whole group of high schoolers ripping down the flag in front of their school and ripping it apart, you know, because they want to show 
how opposed to gun violence they are. And so the way to do that is to just desecrate the flag in front of their school. Now, there's a part of me that wants to say, all right, you know, they're high school kids. They, they don't, you know, they're kids. They, you can actually say this. And they're, they're, they are kids. Uh, unlike when they talk about the unaccompanied minors at the border who say they're 17 or actually 25. Uh, but these are actually kids. And they're going to do foolish things. I did dumb things when I was a kid. Not as dumb as this, but I did some dumb things. Hey, let's like see if I can pop a wheelie on my bicycle. No, not something worth trying, in fact. And you find out the hard way when you do. Uh, Anyway, this is exactly what I thought it would be. This is the virtue signaling of adults being forced upon kids in schools. And kids who see this as a, a fun activity and a way to feel like they're part of something, right? It's, it literally is like a fun group activity. Let's go march and chant and hold up signs. And adults saying, see, listen to the children. And the rest of us who are acting like adults and not just technically adults as a matter of age saying, no, I don't think so. It's not about listening to the children and... This has been a tremendously effective distraction operation, I would note, from the biggest failures, the biggest points of failure in the entire Parkland shooting, which were the result of failed law enforcement activities. Look, you you know this. I'm very pro-law enforcement. Law enforcement in my family worked in law enforcement for a short time myself. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to call out when law enforcement messes up, right? And I know a lot of the folks listening who are cops across the country are like, yeah, you know, when guys do something badly, we got to, I mean guys in the in the general, you know, when Zer or Ver, because those are now pronouns that you, we'll talk about that later, pronouns that are made up that we're supposed to use. I'm jumping ahead of the script, though. Uh, but when folks in general, of all genders, uh see that people within their profession are making mistakes that makes the rest of their profession, you know, it doesn't make them look bad, but, you know, it's, they're upholding standard, they're trying to uphold the standard, right? They got to call it out when it's wrong. I don't think any, I I haven't heard anybody really who defends the, I mean, look, the FBI doesn't defend the FBI on this, so there's no one defending it. And the only people that are defending the Broward County Sheriff's Office work for the Broward County, is pretty much Sheriff Scott Israel, that's it. And this other guy, uh, Peterson, who didn't go inside the school, who there's video up today showing you. He's like, yeah, there's a gunfire inside. I'm going to hang out out here. Good luck. Did nothing. Disgraceful. But, you know, there's another story I want to share with you. Not getting very much attention at all. But it goes to one of the premises we've discussed here before on the show, and that is, uh, is there an issue about disciplining students? And not wanting to arrest people who are of this age uh, because it looks bad and because of the new guidance and and do political do issues of political correctness factor into. By the way, one very important point on the prison to school pipeline and how it may have affected Nicholas Cruz, the Parkland Marjorie Stoneman Douglas uh, shooter, is was he considered a minority student for the purposes of law enforcement? I I, I think I've seen people write that he was. And therefore, there would have been, under policy, under guidelines, put in place by the Obama administration, there would have been hesitation to arrest him. They would have wanted to do other things. But, you know, it's tough in Florida with the way the media does this stuff. You know, Cruz, is, is Cruz considered a minority? Ted Cruz is not considered a minority because, you know, Republican. 
Um, Zimmerman was considered white, not a minority, because he was involved in a scuffle with uh, Trayvon Martin and the shooting and all that, right? So Zimmerman was considered a white Hispanic, which was a new designation, one I was not familiar with until the media made that one up. I don't know if Nicholas Cruz at the time was considered, but I can imagine he he would have been, and that may have, in fact, affected the way that law enforcement handled him under the guidelines that, yes, Broward County Sheriff's Office had in place, but that came all the way from the top, not just of the Obama administration, but from President Obama himself. Uh, but there's another case that I want to bring to your attention from Palm Beach that brings some of this together. It's also just it's a terrible, I mean, it's a terrible situation, but I, I think it might illustrate some of what we're discussing here. So we will get back into this uh, in just a few minutes. 844-900-2825. If you want to call in, 844-900-BUCK. We've got a lot more show coming. Stay there. So there's another story, another uh, a murder in Florida involving a minor, uh, a teenager, 17 years old. And the way that the Post reported on it was teen stabbed boys at sleepover because of religious beliefs. Does anyone want to guess which religious beliefs he was investigating uh Becoming acquainted with, radicalizing with, perhaps, at the time. Not Unitarianism. I promise you that. Not, not, not Presbyterianism. I'll let you guess. But he uh, was arrested uh, recently. He was arrested for, for murder. And when we learn more information about this young man, what we find out is that in a somewhat similar way to Nicholas Cruz, Corey Johnson, 17, and this is written about in the Palm Beach Post and the New York Post and a whole bunch of places. 17-year-old Corey Johnson uh, stabbed three people, one of them fatally at a sleepover with other teenagers in Palm Beach. But guess what? This teenager was, like Nicholas Cruz, a well-established bad kid. They knew about him for a long time. He was on law enforcement's radar. He's now facing charges of first-degree murder. But law enforcement, including the FBI, says it was just a matter of weeks before they were going to bring charges against him. Uh, Let me give you some of the background here as to what was going on here. This is from the Palm Beach Post. In January 2017, several local law enforcement agencies and the FBI came together with a staff at the William Dwyer High School in Palm Beach Gardens, where this uh, suspect here was a student at the time. The Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office received information that Johnson supported the terrorist organization ISIS and had reached out to the group online expressing his desire to join them. A sheriff's detective interviewed Johnson for a mental health assessment and said the teen sympathized with terrorist organizations, according to the official report. Palm Beach County School District Police said that during middle school, Johnson made anti-Semitic and anti-homosexual statements. He also had similar beliefs to the KKK. School police said they received information that Johnson had violent tendencies, 
had uh, spoken about inappropriate places to bomb and is a white supremacist. Investigators also learned that there were several guns inside of Johnson's residence. His family later told investigators there were guns in his mother's home, but they were locked in a safe. After the meeting, the FBI told Jupiter police that a counterintelligence agency in Europe investigated Johnson's connections to several threats made on Instagram to a Catholic high school in England. Though the report does not say what the threats were, authorities says they were so severe in nature that up to 100 students were removed from that school in England, fearing some kind of attack. British news outlets reported on the threat in October 2016, and the threat one threat posted on Instagram stated, we will kill every single infidel student at this school, barring from the Islamic State there. In the weeks following that meeting with federal law enforcement and Jupiter police, uh, they monitored his Johnson, the uh, suspect here, the subject, Johnson's movements and his social media accounts, interviewed his family. But they did not. The FBI did not want to charge Johnson because he was a juvenile and believed a redirection approach would be best. So they spoke to the teen. They told him to have no further contact with ISIS. By the summer of 2017, the FBI said Johnson was making more online threats. And then they decided, fine, we're going to bring charges against him. Well, here's the problem, folks. They were going to bring charges against him, uh, and a couple of weeks before they could bring the charges, he tried to murder three people, stabbed one, I believe a 13-year-old boy, to death with a knife at a party. Because he was bad, this uh, Johnson fellow. He was a bad kid, bad adolescent, whatever. Law enforcement knew about it. He had broken the law many, many times. You cannot make not just... Threats across state lines, but transnational threats over the Internet. He did. He was not arrested. They tried to intervene. They wanted to work with him. They wanted to do the right thing. Now, we're talking about a little too much partying, some drugs, some stuff like that. Yeah, intervene, right? The, the people, kids deserve second chances. I get that. When you're talking about somebody who's espousing jihadist and radical beliefs and says that he uh, and is, is threatening to shoot up a school overseas... And I'm sure if we dug deeper here, we'd find even more, you know, the usual stuff, abusing animals, torturing animals. I'm sure this guy was doing all that stuff. Law enforcement didn't want to get ahead of it, though. They, uh, they, and this is in Florida. Once again, the same thing. Was this another instance of the uh, school-to-prison pipeline mentality? Oh, no, we can't lock him up. We can't press charges because then he'll be a criminal for life. So let's just sort of sit back and wait and hope that nothing really bad happens. Well, this one wasn't a shooting, it was a stabbing, but someone's dead. And law enforcement knew plenty ahead of time to do something in the state of Florida, but they chose not to. Ah, it's tough stuff, but sometimes we have to dive into that together. We'll be right back. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. And I spoke with the prime minister and we are uh, in deep discussions, a very sad situation. It certainly looks like the Russians were behind it. Uh, Something that should never, ever happen. And we're taking it very seriously, as I think are many others. 
The United States, as we have uh, said all along, stands in solidarity with its closest ally, the United Kingdom. We share the United Kingdom's assessment that Russia is responsible for the reckless nerve agent attack on British citizen and his daughter. And the United States is working together with our allies and partners to ensure that this kind of abhorrent attack does not happen again. For anything further, we'll keep you posted. I applaud President Trump in taking this strong, decisive action against Russia. Uh, you know, if you look at what they did in our elections, uh, he's finally taking action when the previous administration didn't. If you look at what President Trump recently did just a few weeks ago to uh, to finally sell Javelin missiles uh, to our friends, the Ukraine, so that they can push back on Russia's aggression in the Ukraine. I mean, these are strong, decisive steps that our allies have been calling on us to take for years. I'm glad we finally have a president, Donald Trump, uh, who's willing to to support our allies and push back on Russia's aggression. We hear so much about how Trump is unwilling to criticize Vladimir Putin. And then he criticizes Putin or he calls out Russia for this. And the press acts like it didn't happen. How many people even know? I mean, you'd have to be paying very close attention to the media that this administration, the one that's supposed to be so friendly towards Russia, so in Putin's pocket, the, the Kremlin's stooge, all that stuff. How many people even know that Trump was willing to sell anti-tank missiles? You you heard uh, Steve Scalise say just there, javelin missiles. Go after armor that is in eastern Ukraine that is either operated by or uh, the property of the Russian government. The Obama administration was unwilling to do that. Thought it would be too provocative thought that sending over Javelin missiles and sniper rifles, which could be used to used by Ukrainian national military to go after these so-called separatists in Eastern Ukraine, that would uh, be a little too much of a thumb in Putin's eye. And yet Trump will do it. They just announced that they're adding the 13 people on the Mueller indictment list to uh, sanctions today. The Brits have expelled 23 Uh, diplomats that they believe are actually undeclared intelligence officers. So the Brits have been up to that. The Brits are doing things. All this pushback on Russia. And you'll notice that the administration never really gets any credit for it. It just happens. It passes. And then within a few weeks, you know, why doesn't Trump criticize Russia more? As though his sole... Meaning for existence is to try and find ways to antagonize Vladimir Putin and Russia more than we already do. But the Russia situation is complicated. I've had people ask me about it in the last few days, actually, even uh, just offline away from my media job. People say, you know, what do you think we should do? You've got a country with a tremendous amount of natural resources and a lot of nukes, but uh, an economy that's nothing to get too excited about that we want to work with where we can, and we've got to slop down where we have to. And that's the way it's going to be. I'm much more uh, bullish on U.S.-Russia relations in time. I don't mean tomorrow or next year, but, you know, in 10 years, 15 years, I think Russia will be trending more toward the United States. I, I think China is going to be the big problem. We are on a a, a path for a clash of civilizations and not just in the rhetorical sense with China. Uh, but that's, I suppose, a discussion for another time. 
the Russian use of the of the nerve agent Novichok here, look, it's reckless, no doubt about it. And that it injured, what was it, 18 other people or 18 other people were exposed to it, had to be taken to the hospital. Uh, if this were done in the United States, we would expect there to be a very strong response. And it was done in the UK to our, or in the, within the borders of what is our closest ally or among, sorry, Canada, among our closest allies. I didn't mean to, didn't mean to imply as I've said to you, though, it is different when it's a Russian that we're talking about, even a former Russian. For whatever reason, we think of it that way. They think of it that way. Uh, you know, nationality is kind of a funky thing. You, you, can, uh, you can surrender your passport and move to a new country, but places like Russia, it is a mafia. You are not allowed to leave, and they do not really much care. So I will say that was a that is a difference, and I think that's a, a red line that they would be slow to cross. I think the Russians understand that if you had a prominent U.S., if you had a prominent American journalist who was a critic of the Kremlin who all of a sudden had Novichok on his front door handle, uh, then we'd have then we'd have big problems. And then you'd have to figure out, well, what's, a, uh, what's an acceptable response? Um, and, and I think you, now you're starting to talk about really trying to economically cripple Russia. And, you know, once you start doing things like that, then uh, it can get out of control pretty quickly. Then things can get very ugly but you know putin's up for re-election soon he's going to be election i know it's funny right an election but he's going to be elected by a huge margin he does have a lot of popular support inside of russia and he's not going anywhere so we have to work with him and find ways to do what we can to encourage better behavior from him um uh, we'll have to see if the media finally lets up on the narrative that somehow Trump and all those who work for him are just so pro-Putin when he this White House is literally doing things that the Obama administration refused to do against Russia because they thought it was too belligerent. And you still hear the, oh, he had some deal with Putin and there's Russia collusion and the dossier and all that stuff They they. They will not back off of that because they're so they're so professionally invested in the narrative. It's not going to go anywhere anytime soon. So I just wanted to, to give a little update there on what's going on with Russia. Trump has straight up said we think it's them. Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Everyone's saying, yeah, we think it's Russia. So all that stuff you're hearing yesterday about, oh, Trump won't criticize them. It's all nonsense. Just a quick note also, another follow up that I'll work in here before we have to go into a break. And uh, then I'll. I've got a whole bunch of, I'm going to talk to you about dangerous animals in the third hour of the show today, about the philosophy of progressives and why they're so hostile. Uh, so we've got all kinds of fun things coming up. But the aftermath of the Pennsylvania 18th district election that happened, uh, what was it, uh, two days ago? People are looking at this now, and what's funny to me is, yeah, okay, sure. If you run a young telegenic, I feel like that's what you're allowed to say without, you know, you can say someone telegenic and no one can be like, hey, you don't. Don't judge them based on their appearance. Um, you can run a guy who's a former Marine and who does everything he can to sound and act like a Republican. And you might be able to win a district that's sort of union, union Democrat dominated, right? But in the general, you're going to have to deal with the fact that this is the Democrat Party is the party of Pelosi, Sanders, and Schumer. And Kamala Harris, too. She's going to become a much bigger name going forward. I, I think they're going to find a way to put her on a ticket in 2020. I'm just not sure if she's going to be at the top of it. or. Uh, but that's my expectation. Uh, but Pelosi, 
is already getting a little bit of heat because people realize that she is, yeah, she's popular in uh, her district is basically Marin County, I think, which is north of San Francisco. It's very posh uh, and crazy liberal. Marin County is is so liberal that I think sometimes they visit New York and they're like, this place is some sort of fascist right-wing dictatorship. Like, they can't handle it. I mean, it's a whole other level of liberal out there. Uh, but Pelosi was asked whether she... Basically, <laughs> are, are you a liability, Nancy Pelosi? Are you a problem for the party? And here is what she said. And uh, I, I, I feel pretty confident about the, um, my ability to, uh, to do, first and foremost, be a, a master legislator for the good of the American people uh, that, that uh, uh, have proven that. But what you've done is not why you should go forward. Why you should go forward is what are you going to do next? And I don't think uh, that the Koch brothers should decide who the leader of the Democratic Party is in the House. Uh, so she still calls herself the master legislator? That's today? <laughs> Pelosi, you're great. I'm a master legislator. She's not going anywhere, folks. She likes power. Pelosi likes power. Uh, she's a master legislator. You can't make this stuff up. She said it before. I, wasn't, I was like, did she really say that again? Oh, she did. It's Pelosi's party. Remember that as we go into the midterms. I've got more. I should probably come up with some music that would be like an intro for when I want to talk about Buck's Buck's health thoughts. And I'll keep in mind, I, I have no medical training of any kind whatsoever. Uh, very limited, like trauma wound. I was going to say expertise. That would be totally false. Very limited trauma wound, like familiarization from some of my previous work. Uh, but I, I do like to talk about health issues because I think that there's... I think that's one of the great unexplored and, and misunderstood frontiers of the world around us. I, I'm somebody who feels like there are so many answers that we don't yet have. And the more information we have access to now, the more clear it becomes that there's there's whole that there are things that go on that the medical community isn't even really looking at very closely, but could be game changers for a lot of us down the line. Um, and one day I'll share my thoughts on, you know, ga- the gastrointestinal tract and how it's so important for health. It's something you learn about when you have celiac disease. But this is just something that's a little bit of a this is more of a lifestyle thing than a health thing or a lifestyle thing than a medical one, per se. But it's one that I've dealt with many times in my life. I'm sure you have, too. In fact, some of you are probably in the midst of it as you're listening to this show. This was on CBS, a story here in New York. They, they asked a bunch of different medical professionals about the stress that people feel with a stressful commute, especially a commute where you're moving slowly, you got to go a long ways, and you don't know if you're going to make it in time, if you're going to be late for work. I don't know how many of you listening to the show have to rely on mass transit, for example, but whether it's mass transit or traffic jams, you probably at some point have felt uh, a you know, a little bit of a tightening in your chest. You can have physical symptoms from the agitation of being stuck in a in a brutal commute. And this is a part of our of our lives that that I think really needs to change. 
especially with all the different technologies that allow people to work from home and to contribute meaningfully to their business without being physically present. Uh, we got to stop this thing of like this crush of people all trying to take the same the same highway, the same road at the same time to get where they're going, uh, because it means that everyone's losing a lot of time in the process. But even worse, or maybe as bad, it's bad for your health. In fact, a stressful commute, according to this piece, is worse for your physiological symptoms if you do it continuously. Stressful commute is worse than PTSD, according to some medical experts they talked to you about here. In terms of your blood pressure and other measurements that they can look at for your stress level, um, it's really, really important that you uh, you work you work on your breathing a little bit. I know that's one of those things people always say, like, you know, focus on your breathing. It actually does help, though, if you do it, you know. It actually helps if you breathe properly. It's something that I've tried to get better at doing a radio show here. But if you've got a really stressful commute, I, I offer you two things. See, now I'm giving, this is like the good advice. This is what you get, the extra bonus, the layer of sprinkles on top of the ice cream, the icing, or the ice cream, either one, of the Buck Sexton Show. Wear comfortable shoes. I'm changing your life just by telling you that. I'm making your life better. Wear comfortable shoes. And then on top of that, you know, figure out a way that your commute isn't driving you nuts. That's another very important data point that all of you should have. And and try to limit your commute and try to find ways if you can. Look, I know jobs, it's tough. You got to go where the work is. And some people are working for a long time. And some people don't mind it. I mean, I talk to people that come from like two hours away in New Jersey you know, and they're like, I got a yard. I got I got a, a big dog, not a little dog, a big dog. I got a yard. I come in from Jersey, you know. I get stuck at the tunnel. I get stuck at the tunnel. I turn on the Buck Sexton show. And I'm like, you know what? You're onto something there, buddy. It's all about mindset. You know, some people don't get upset when they get stuck in uh, in traffic or whatever. But if you are somebody like that, try to find ways to mitigate the physical because you know mitigating the physiological symptoms is important because it you know this this stuff the stress your heart you know your your brain i mean there's a lot of research that's still being done but all the evidence points towards your stress level affects your cardiovascular health it also affects your um, neurological health and your brain functioning so you got to do what you can to take care of that so see i'm these are the, the nuggets of wisdom you get from the Buck Sexton Show. Things like try to make your commute not so brutal and terrible and also um, try to take deep breaths if you get stuck in a situation like that. For me, it's sometimes it's a subway. I've had situations where I had to get on live TV and there was I'm in the subway here in New York. Because if you try to take a car most of the time, you're never going to get where you're going here. Because all the TV studios are in midtown Manhattan and in the middle of the city. And... I've had the situation of sitting there in a subway, knowing that I had to do a live TV hit, knowing that it was coming, it was going to come down to minutes, like literally it was going to be a matter of uh, 180 seconds, whether I made the hit or not, and sitting there for five or 10 minutes before that, where the subway, they do this thing where they go, you know, we are delayed. They have like a robotic voice that comes on. We are delayed. And if it's a delay that's not that bad, they'll tell you, like, we are delayed because of train traffic ahead. And then you know, like, all right, we're probably okay. But if they say this, we are delayed because of an investigation, uh-uh, 
Now you're at like, it's time to hit the emergency exit, like get out of there, and like make a run for it in the dark New York City subway tunnel because you are donezo. You are going to miss whatever. That's happened to me too. I've come close a few times to, uh, to or, or you just sit there and freak out and turn into a puddle of sweat and everyone's like, why is that guy like freaking out so much? You're like, ah, I need to get to team. Because you can't text or email or anything either. So people would just think that you were rude and didn't show up or they'd worry about you. So stressful commutes, cut them out of your life as much as you can or find ways to make them not stressful. You know what the best way is? Download the Buck Sexton Show podcast and have it at the ready at all times in case you miss a day or you just want to pick up some more of the fantastic information we bring to you from the Freedom Hut. That, my friends, is the way to get it done. That is how we roll. All right, hour three coming up. We're going to talk about the mindset of progressive social justice warriors. Why are they... A bunch of snowflakes. Well, we will take a blowtorch to the snowflakes in just a few minutes here. If you stay with me, I'll explain much more. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Welcome to Hour 3 of the Buck Sexton Show. One of my favorite things about being on for the three hours that I have each night with you and also being on a little later in the day is I get to do deep dives into things. I get to do all kinds of interesting and fun research and present you with a lot that I know you're not going to hear anywhere else. And this falls into that category. This is where we get into our, our third hour which tends to be where I just share with you whatever's top of mind for me. It's not dictated by the news cycle. It's not political or national security necessarily. It's just whatever I've got for you. And there is a piece that was just published called The Psychology of Progressive Hostility on Quillette.com that I cannot recommend to you more highly. We will uh, post it up on my website, a link to it, and I'll also uh, share it on Facebook. It's written by Matthew Blackwell. Let Let me give you some of what he gets into, but just to set the stage, why is it that I'm sure if you're listening to the show, there's a very good chance we share a lot of political beliefs, similar worldview. Some of you maybe agree with me 50 or 60% of the time. A lot of you probably agree with me, hopefully, 90% plus of the time, or maybe 80% plus of the time. But you've probably come across the same phenomenon that I have, which is when someone tells you as a conservative, we'll leave our liberal listeners out of this for a second, but there are some, uh, but as a conservative, when someone tells you that you're wrong or that you have a belief that is wrong, your response tends to be, tell me why. Why is that the case? What makes me wrong? And you're at least willing to hear it out. The response that you see from liberals, and this is not just my perception, or I'm going to get into some of the, the science, if you will, on this, some of the social science, the studies on it. There have been studies. Progressives in America today respond with, well, you know how they respond. If you say, hey, you know, gun control is actually not as easy or good an idea as you seem to think it is, they say, you're a terrible person. I hate your face. And you say, well, hold on. I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a terrible person, and you're allowed to not like my face, but, 
this is about a policy issue, and there are pluses and minuses. One of the big problems that progressives have with their approach to any number of of issues is that they actually see their opinion not just as as more correct, but as absolutely correct, meaning that there can be no there is no trade off and therefore there is no good faith opposition to their idea. You either agree with them or you are factually wrong or even worse, you agree with them or you're you're bad. You are pushing for something that is that makes you a bad person. It's a judgment on you that you don't see it their way. So here's here's this piece that walks us through some of this. And then I'll get into some of the social science and some of the authors that it it relies on. Uh, Quote, recently, I arrived at a moment of introspection about a curious aspect of my own behavior. When I disagree with a conservative friend or colleague on some political issue, I have no fear of speaking my mind. I talk, they listen, they respond, I talk some more, and at the end of it, we get along just as we always have. But I've discovered that when a progressive friend says something with which I disagree or that I know to be incorrect, I'm hesitant to point it out. This hesitancy is a consequence of the different treatment one tends to receive from those on the right and left when expressing a difference of opinion. I am not, as it turns out, the only one who has noticed this. That's a stupid blanking question, answered a Socialist Alliance activist when I asked sincerely where they were getting what sounded like inflated poverty statistics. Quote, if you don't believe in gay marriage or gun control, unfriend me, demand multiple Facebook statuses from those I know. That's gross and racist, spluttered a red-faced Ben Affleck when the atheist and neuroscientist Sam Harris criticized Islamic doctrines on Bill Maher's real time. Nobody blinks an eye when Harris criticizes Christianity, least of all Affleck, who starred in Kevin Smith's irreverent religious satire Dogma. But Christians are not held to be a sacrosanct and protected minority on the political left. And, and then as Skeptic Magazine's Michael Shermer tweeted recently, when I debate Christians, Jews, creationists, climate deniers, etc., they are unfailingly polite, respectful, thoughtful, discerning, and listen to my arguments. Far left social justice warriors do not. They simply look for fault and pounce. Isn't this so very true, my friends? I bet you come across this in your day-to-day lives, whether it's trying to have just a a casual discussion about the day's events in the workplace, or if you're seeing friends for drinks after, if you're getting the kids together with, you know, and, and their parents show up and... All that stuff, whenever it is that you're interacting with people out there, if you come across a social justice warrior, it is likely that if you contradict them or even just refuse to agree with them on something, they're not going to try to persuade you. They're going to try to slam you. They aren't looking for converts. They are hunting for heretics, as I like to say. And it is absolutely the case. And now we're starting to see that this is a widespread phenomenon. Uh, it, it is a, a p- 
part of progressive belief system now, because I, I believe and this is where I'm de- departing from this piece for a moment. But progressivism fills the place of religious belief for a vast majority of progressives. There are many progressives you'll come across who will claim they'll claim that they have you know an allegiance to uh, one one religion or another. They'll claim that they have a a relationship with a church or with the Almighty. Some of them certainly do. They usually see it, though, as a mechanism for social justice, right? They see it as a place for community, not necessarily about the individual communing with God. Uh, But for a lot of progressives, you have a sense that their belief system, their political belief system, is deeply tied in to their identities as people. And that's why the moment that you disagree with them on something the moment that you see things differently it's like you're negating who they are as people right i believe in climate science because i'm a good person and i'm smart and i care about things and you say well maybe you're just actually maybe you've been conned maybe you've been lied to maybe actually this isn't what you think it is they're not going to respond to that with well wow you're right maybe i don't need to do all this stupid recycling all the time you know how much i hate recycling uh, maybe I don't need to do it. They're going to say, you are telling me I'm not as good as a person as I thought, or that's, that's going to be their thought process. And the response is going to be, I hate your face. And there are reasons for this. There are reasons for this in, in our discourse. We're starting to see this more and more. Uh, this is not aberrant. It's not random. It's not based on the person. It has become a part of the ideology. So when people talk about the polarization of politics in this country, What they need to take into account is that there is one major component of the political spectrum that isn't even just about politics. It's about identity. And it is central to who, on the left, progressives, it's central to who they think they are as people. I want to continue with a little bit of this because I think this is this deep dive into social justice warriors will explain a lot. And these are things that will affect you in your day to day life. I think you should know that you're not alone if you've ever tried to say to someone, hey, you know, maybe maybe a, a abortion for all nine months of a pregnancy is, is a really immoral thing and you should rethink your stance on this. You tend not to get. Yeah, you're right. Let's talk about it. You tend to get. How could you? You just want to put women in slavery. Well, why is that the response? And why do you see this time and time again from one side of the political spectrum and not the other? Why is it that conservatives can have fierce debates with each other on sub on substance and then walk away friends and respectful of each other? And conservatives are willing to hear beliefs from all over the place and at least hear them out without assuming the person who holds beliefs that contradict their own are bad people. This is it's not just this is not just an intellectual exercise. It will help us all understand why we have to have the interactions that all of you listening to this show are having day in and day out. And also what's going to happen in this country if this side wins out? What happens if progressivism becomes the dominant political ideology in America? Uh, We'll get into that some more in just a few minutes.
The Psychology of Progressive Hostility, Part 2, my friends. Uh, welcome back. Thank you for being here with me on the show. So let's just put this into some context. You, you guys all remember when Trump was officially declared <laughs> Trump was officially declared president. There was this, this shriek from a Hillary-supporting leftist that went viral. In case you missed it or in case you just want to kick back, relax, and... Let the good times roll again. Here's what it sounded like. Donald J. Trump is now president of the United States. President of the United States. What a great honor to be able to introduce for the first time ever anywhere the 45th president of the United States of America, Donald it's a it's a full grown woman shrieking as loud and like making a noise that I didn't know a human being could make. It's just you know, it's like Hillary warming up her vocal cords for uh, being on stage at the opera or something. I mean, it's really bad, and and it, you know, progressives are a little a little nutso. You know, they they got problems for sure. But back to our scientific deep dive into this, uh, others have started to pick up on this and the notion that the that the conservative mind is willing to deal with challenges, to deal with uncertainty, and to see things as trade-offs is increasingly supported by the social science literature. And the notion that progressives emotionalize and get angry really quickly and freak out, basically, based on what their political beliefs are, is increasingly a, uh, this is not a, a sometime thing, this is a most or all the time thing. Uh, one of the great examples of this that he cites in this piece, again, this is on Quillette.com, and it's by Matthew Blackwell, is this story of a professor in Canada um, who made the mistake, if you will, um, at Wilfred, uh, was it Wilfred Laurier was the name of the school, I think? Anyways, she made the mistake of showing a debate in her class where Professor Peterson was talking about whether or not people should have to refer to transgender individuals. This is in Canada, folks, with pronouns like Zer, Z-I-R, and Ver, V-E-R. Literally made up pronouns. The faculty of Wilfrid Laurier uh, University or College, whichever it is, it's Canada. I don't know what I don't know these I don't know the Canadian schools. Uh, eh? But the faculty brought her in for discipline and when she said i was i didn't even weigh in they said exactly that's the problem you showed a debate that other people were having and didn't tell the students uh which side was right here's actually how it's written in the piece during shepherd that's the professor lindsey shepherd during her interrogation uh because remember she this was recorded she said that uh, her, or rather her superiors she recorded i'm sorry not only did she get in trouble for, for the video, she recorded the interrogation by the fellow faculty members. And in that, her superiors can be heard explaining that Professor Peterson, whom we've had here on the show, his views were problematic and that she should have either criticized them or not exposed her students to his opinions at all. But that would be taking uh, sides, she said audibly on the tape that she made. Uh, although she didn't share Peterson's views herself, she had played the video to encourage a class debate. Yes, replied one of her interrogators. Can't you see 
that this is something that is not really up for debate. Her job, she was informed, is to oppose the political right. That's right, my friends. Whether or not you, as a function of law in Canada, should have to refer to a person by the made-up pronoun zur or ver is, is, quote, not really up for debate, according to professors at what I assume is a reasonably reputable Canadian institution of higher learning, although maybe I'm giving it too much credit. This exposes the mentality. This exposes what you see on the college campuses, and it exposes the, uh, the speech equals violence trope that the left relies on now as, a, as an excuse to shut down speakers they don't like, or the no-platforming. They have effectively been uh, conditioned to think in this way. You know, the, the, the circuitry in their brains, the wiring brings about this kind of overreaction to uh, political beliefs. Theirs aren't just correct. They're the only beliefs. No one can challenge them. And if people challenge them, they have to go on, on the offensive. They have to attack Back to this piece in, in Quillette. In his remarkable book, The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion, Jonathan Haidt recalls a telling experiment. He and his colleagues, Brian Nosick and Jesse Graham, sought to discover how well conservative and what Haidt terms liberal, progressive, students understood one another by having them answer moral questions as they thought their political opponents would answer them. The results were clear and consistent, according to Haight. In all analyses, conservatives were more accurate than liberals. Asked to think the way a liberal thinks, conservatives answered moral questions just as the liberal would answer them, but liberal students were unable to do the reverse. Rather, they seemed to put moral ideas into the mouths of conservatives that they don't hold. To put it bluntly, Haight and his colleagues found that progressives don't understand conservatives the way conservatives understand progressives. He calls this the conservative advantage, and it goes a long way in explaining the different ways each side deals with opinions unlike their own. People get angry at what they don't understand, and an all-progressive education ensures that they don't understand. End quote. See, my friends, we are cracking it open here and getting right to the center of it, right to the truth. Because you and I know what liberals think and believe, we can engage with them and at least are willing to approach their opinions in good faith. But they are so cosseted in their echo chambers of higher education and the media and the Democrat Party and all the rest of it. They don't even know what we believe, really. They're actually so ignorant that they think that we support the NRA, for example, because we don't really care that much about gun violence for some reason that they couldn't explain. They don't know what we believe, which is why they are so nasty and aggressive and hateful in their responses. But this should all make you feel a little bit better about every uncomfortable exchange you've had with the progressive recently. In a sense, it's not really their fault. You just know a lot more than they do. You're much more well-versed on the issues and have a much better understanding of what they think themselves and what you think. This is the conservative advantage. We'll be right back.
He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. What is the deadliest animal in the United States, my friends? Oh, I'm looking at you, producer Mike and John. The deadliest animal by the numbers in the U.S. is what? Can you, you, you maybe give me like a hand signal or what, what do you got? What do you got? Oh, what, a bear? You, a cat? No. Cat. No, get out of here. Actually, they, they do, cats do end up killing people sometimes because of the infections from the scratches. Is that what you're referring to? Or are you talking about like, like mountain lions that go after uh, bikers and hikers? What do we, what do we, you know? Come on, squad. I was referring to uh, cats because they kill massive amounts of like birds and rodents and stuff. They're like, oh, no, no, massively. I'm not killing people, home slice, people. So what kills the most people? Nothing? All right, fine. I mean, usually I feel like people be like bears, snakes, you know, <laughs> they're not even playing along in here. They're just done with me today. All right, fine. The answer is hornets, wasps, and bees. That's right. This is a study published by Wilderness and Environmental Medicine. Hornets, wasps, and bees kill the most people. Now, it's kind of an unfair question, right? It's kind of like asking what's the most deadly animal on the planet? And I will tell you, because obviously you guys don't like this game that I'm playing with you right now. Uh, I'm not talking to you at home. I'm talking to the, the, the Freedom Hut control room. They're like, stop with the 20 questions. Uh, it's, it's mosquitoes because of malaria and other pathogens that the... Yeah, yeah mos- dude, we, we, eliminating malaria around the world would save so many more lives than combating climate change. But people really want to focus on other things. Want to focus on climate change. Uh, but yeah, I just thought this was... In, the New York Times cited this report uh, earlier this week on wilderness and from wilderness and environmental medicine hornets wasps and bees but they kill people mostly because of those who have allergies so it's not really a fair like one bee sting if you have an allergy can kill you right but usually it's not that big of a deal although i remember i was very dumb when i was like seven or eight and i definitely thought it was fun for a little while when i'd be out somewhere where they had grass to try and stomp on bees when you're like seven or eight and not that strong or coordinated and you miss stomping on the bee, the bee, the bee gets his. The bee, uh, the bee gets his revenge. It does happen. Anyway, I've been stung a few times. But then there's some other uh, animals that, that make the list here. My favorite on planet Earth, dogs. They were responsible for 200 and... Uh, wait, from 20, uh, 2008 to 2015, by the way. It's a seven-year period they analyzed. Dogs were responsible for 272 deaths. Uh, so that's 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 sad. Um, the fatality rate in dog attacks, it, well, it's particularly high, unfortunately, for the, uh, the very young and the elderly. But surprisingly, um, neither, wait, oh my gosh, guys, I totally, I totally lied to you just now. And I, I need to eat a big slice of humble pie. This piece starts out, saying that everyone assumes it's bees, wasps, and including me. I'm actually wrong for once. I know. I should go, I should go do some push-ups in the corner, or we should, we should mark this occasion because it is so rare. Savor the flavor, gentlemen. It's not something that's going to happen very often. I am, I am dead wrong on this one. It is not bees, wasps, and hornets. It is, in fact, pigs, cows, and horses. Pigs, cows, and horses. They were responsible for 576 deaths, and it's from farm, uh, farm stuff, you know, basically people getting attacked or trampled in farms. So that's actually the, so the deadliest animals in America, according to this comprehensive study, 
are pigs, cows, and horses, which is not exciting. Like, if this were Australia, there would be probably some form of snake that has enough venom to kill 300 people. And there, there's saltwater crocodiles. There's great white sharks, tiger sharks, bull sharks. Australia's got all the good, scary animals. A lot of good, scary animals in Africa, too. Uh, but our scariest are pigs, cows, and horses, according to this, which I have to say I found somewhat, uh, somewhat surprising. So I'm not saying you should avoid it. I'm just saying be aware. You know, next time that cow's giving you kind of a funny look, that cow might have some ill intentions. You know, that you, they sneak up on you. You don't know what's going on. I'm sure there are actually male cow is a bull. That's right. Good job, Buck. Buck hasn't spent a lot of time on farms. I was going to be like, is it a steer? No, that's a type of cow. Everybody listening to this who has any experience around farm animals is like, Buck, you got to stop right now. You can't, you can't dig up. Uh, but nonetheless, I just think this is really interesting because people think of dangerous animals like bears and uh, mountain lions. And it, it, you are more likely to be struck by lightning by a pretty wide margin, I think, than you are to be attacked by a bear. And from what I understand, there's still debate to this day as to whether or not a healthy wolf has ever attacked and eaten a person in North America. Rabid wolves have definitely attacked people, no question. And starving wolves, I see this thing, I think they create this little carve out for like wolves that are starving. But I'm kind of like, I don't really care if the wolf is super hungry when it eats me. I'm still getting eaten. So I think that counts. I don't think you get to wipe away the wolf-eating-people thing because the wolf's belly is empty and very hungry. No. No, that makes me sad. As you can tell, I like animals a lot. I used to play a game growing up. My parents were very permissive and, and, uh, and kind. And I'd be like, I'd be like, Dad, who would win in a fight? A triceratops or a grizzly bear? And he, he would actually... My uh, my my very highly educated father would actually give me an answer, and I was like, "Well, that's the answer, clearly." He knows Triceratops grizzly bear. The Triceratops has the weight advantage, so clearly it's going to come out. So yeah, as you can tell, I like when I was in, when I was in kindergarten, I tried to spell out I wanted to be an animal conservationist when I grew up. I didn't spell it properly, um, but I had heard about it, and it meant you get to hang out with animals. By the way, we got Cash in the house here with us now. That's right, DJ Cash. Producer Mike's dog. Very, very fun. When we come back, we'll get into some roll call. Stay with me. Well, team, that's going to close it up here in the Freedom Hut today. I hope you enjoyed the show. Let me know your thoughts at facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, especially from a podcast squad out there. You can listen on iTunes if you don't already. You can subscribe on iTunes, so please do. And also be great if you told a friend, hey, what's, what are your favorite podcasts? Well, mine is The Buck Sexton Show. The more podcasts we get, the happier I am. So make me happy. Help me spread the podcast around. And with that, my friends, you know what time it is. It's roll call time. <laughs> Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. I mean, it just makes me want to grab a Claymore, go out there in a kilt, and fight some Englishmen, you know. But nonetheless, 
That's actually Scotland. And I know technically on Saturday it's St. Patrick's Day. So there you have it. It, it. it is what it is. People, the appropriation has run far and wide. I've actually had a lot of people asking recently what I think about the, uh, I'm, the, the people that get offended about St. Patrick's Day garb now. And I'm like, is this really what it's come to? There's now a thing. The Fighting Irish, oh, they don't like that it's a little leprechaun. And all the stuff about getting drunk on St. Paddy's Day. Uh, I know, we just played Scotland the Brave, which is not really St. Paddy's Day. Now that I'm sitting here, we're going to have to change up the bagpipes for tomorrow. Because <laughs> I think playing Scotland the Brave as a way of commemorating St. Paddy's Day is probably not exactly correct. And uh, the cultural appropriation is real. All right, but with that... Forget the music for a second. Let's get to what your thoughts are on all of this and more. Michael writes, uh, when I was eight or nine, my older buds in the neighborhood took me with them to see The Curse of the Werewolf with Oliver Reed. Yeah, it was 1961. That movie scared the crap out of me. I actually covered my eyes the last five minutes of the flick terrified of werewolves to this day thank god i've never come up against one well michael uh i agree werewolves are scary they've had a real resurgence with these movies called underworld uh, where you have a very slender very attractive british actress who's just wearing incredibly tight leather pants and chopping the heads off of lichens which is another word for werewolf and of course other vampires because she's a vampire she's one of those special vampires that fights against werewolves it's kind of a weird deal but if you're into that stuff you might enjoy that show uh, or that movie next up here hold on a second all right we got jason he writes buck today is my birthday well happy birthday jason and all i want for my birthday oh here we go is no more dubstep roll call thanks buddy and keep your shield high well well jason See, we did it for you, my friend. There you go. We'll just we'll just say we did it for you. Nothing to do with St. Patty's Day. It's Jason's birthday. He gets, well, at least he gets to change the tune, not necessarily the tune he wants. Because of rights and clearances and all that, we have some limitations. As much as I would love to sit here and just play Creedence Clearwater, I don't think we're allowed to do that for a whole bunch of reasons. You know, stuff. Uh, Connor is next up here. Here it's uh, Buck. As a fan and a libertarian and a free speech purist, I'm asking you to help bring attention uh, my friends and I are in the middle of. Um, okay. We are rehearsing for a musical American Idiot by Green Day, and the mayor of the city of Brecksville, Ohio, is trying to shut our production down, and I'm not sure about our chances. We feel we have the constitutional right to do this show. Censure, uh, censorship should be brought to attention on both sides of the political spectrum. I'm asking for your help and the help of those in the conservative free speech movement to bring attention to this and allow freedom and liberty to win. If I can get a response, I would greatly appreciate it. Thanks so much, Connor. Well, Connor, there you go. You got a response on about 125 or so radio stations across the country. There you go, my man. Plus uh, a a large sports stadium full of podcast listeners. That's about right. So there you go. You got some people that heard you, my friend. And uh, yeah, I think you do have the constitutional right to do a show, although it's by Green Day. Green Day is a little, 
You know, Connor, I don't want to upset you. Green Day's a little overrated, though. They're okay. They're okay. I, I, I'm not even talking about their politics. I don't even get into that stuff. But, eh, you know, it is what it is. But, Connor, you fight that good fight, my libertarian friend. He's also a member of Young Team Buck Squad, from what I can gather here. So, yeah, because he's in high school. <laughs> so there you go. So, Connor, thank you very much. Uh, Brent is next up here. He writes, Buck, I love your show. See, Brent pays attention and knows if you want to be in roll call. First line, I love your show. Very good way to start. And as a retired DOD employee, I like the fact that you have an inside the government point of view. But most of all, I love that you love dogs. I'd listen anyway, but that puts you over the top. Keep up the great work, Brent. Well, Brent, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate that. I do, I do love dogs. Because Buck loves dogs. I don't know if any of you know what I'm talking about. That was from uh, Dog Show. And SN- remember the SNL sketch? Dog Show. Dog Show. Really? Because I love dogs. There was uh, Mr. Mr. Um, oh, gosh. I can't remember the names of the dogs now. I don't remember the names. There were the two little dogs in Dog Show. Anyway, uh, John, if you figure it out, let me know. It's an SNL sketch. It's old, though, because I'm old. All right. Um, Michael. He writes in, uh, hey, hey, Buck, trip to Austin. If you have any questions or your team needs any help while you're on your way down here, where to go, what to do, I'd be happy to help out or even help organize. There are a few cool places close to downtown with good barbecue like Terry Black's Barbecue on Barton Springs Road or Uncle Billy's on Barton Springs Road, which has barbecue and is a microbrew. Wow, he's got a lot of Austin knowledge he drops here. Michael, thank you so much for this, my friend. I'm going to go through it a bit. And and uh, what's what's up, John? Pistachio and Nacho? No, it's not Lord Pistachio and Nacho. Those aren't the names. That's weird, huh? That's I gotta. No, those aren't the. I don't think those were the names. Those, those are great. I mean, calling your dog Lord Pistachio is amazing. It obviously has to wear a little a little dog top hat and have a monocle and be like, "Oh, hello, I'm a fancy doggy. Hello." Uh, but back to Michael and Austin and our wonderful affiliate down there, KLBJ. Uh, I am going to come down to Austin. It's just a question of timing. I am coming out to WoWo in just a few weeks, March 31st, I think. Uh, the date escapes my mind right now, but I'm pretty sure that's, yeah, the 31st of March. I'll be in Fort Wayne, Indiana, rocking out. And I will also be heading out to California, I believe, in about a month. So maybe we can get some Team Buck folks together there. And uh, we'll be so, yeah, everybody listening on KEIB out in Los Angeles. We might do a little event. It'd be different, though. You know, we'd have a lot of microgreens and we gather the best pet therapists in the area. I kid. I joke. Come on. Uh, but KLBJ Austin, yeah, barbecue joint in Austin. It will happen. Just a question of whether it'll be this spring or this fall. I don't know if I'm going to show up in Austin in the middle of July. I might I might wait until like october or something, but might get it done soon enough. All right. Um, let's see. we got so many messages in here. Ooh, thank you, everybody. Remember, if you want to be a part of it, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. That is all you need to be in the roll call party. Uh, what do we have here? Ben writes, Buck, last year in Pennsylvania alone, there were over 100,000 junior and youth hunters out of their class woods, oh, sorry, out of their classrooms and in the woods, 
responsibly using their firearms. No mass murders were committed. There was no national media coverage. Well, Ben, you make a good point. A lot of people, a lot of uh, young law-abiding gun owners uh, are exactly that. And I think that gets left out of much of this discussion. So there you have it. Um, Will writes, hold on a second. What do we got here? Uh, Antifa, PCU, great flick. Can you show me where the campus is? It's not like... Antifa! There we go. Right on t- Right on cue, John. Thank you. One more. Give me one more. Give me Antifa! one more. Bam! I love it. It's fantastic. Um... You know what? I think that's a good note to end off for today. But thank you, Will, for your note. And phenomenal to uh, have all of you writing in. Guys, we're going to have a Freestyle Friday tomorrow. It's going to be a lot of fun. Send me your thoughts and suggestions. And uh, as I said, Facebook is great. Also, more of you should be on Twitter. Twitter is a great platform. I know a lot of you are like, eh. Once you start using it, you'll see... Uh, it's a really good way to uh, keep up on news. And if you want to argue with random strangers, Twitter's the best place for it. So check out Twitter for sure, at Buck Sexton if you want to follow me there. And uh, you can also live tweet me during the show. So with that, I will say I will bid you adieu and wish you shields high.